May we rise from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. Please give your careful attention. This is a reading of God's word. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into this city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave us a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, KSBC. What an interesting text to preach on, right? Um. Can you look to the person next to you and say, smile, you need this word. Uh, That was irony. I need this word, amen. I need this word, amen. God's word speaks today. There is supernatural and the natural. God's word speaks to you today. And it can have overwhelming impact and consequences in our lives. So let's pray. Father, uh, many of us probably came back once again from a search in our lives, looking for meaning, direction, passion, uh, avoiding pain, uh, trying to answer the questions that this life throws at us. But Father, when we gather as your people, hidden under the shadow of your wings, in the worship of you, and the receiving of your word, and the fellowship of the saints, Father, help us understand we come back home, and we come to listen to your word. These are words coming from your word, your mouth, from the presence of not a dictator, but a father, oozing with love and practical impact and directions for our heart. And help us remember that we stand before you very personally today. We cannot afford to hide in this congregation called KCPT. We cannot afford to hide in our small groups, but we must one day stand before you alone in person, and we will give an account of our lives. And I pray that we would overflow with the truth that Jesus saved me out of his great grace and mercy. May that be the foundation of today's word. May the word, when it's shared, may bring deep and enlightening truth to our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. Please help me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the first slide. Quantum physicist uh, Arthur, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. uh, It might be French. uh, (laughs) Catching the light. Uh, He talks about two surgeons in 1910. uh, Maru and Le Prince, uh, they wrote about a successful uh, operation on an eight-year-old boy's eyes. Uh, who had been blind since birth because of cataracts. And when this boy's uh, eyes were healed and they removed the bandages um, and they waved their hands in front of him and asked the boy, what do you see? And the boy replied, because he had never seen a hand before, I don't know. Uh, The author concluded that light and eyes, physical reality was not enough to grant the patient actual sight. Uh, The light... He says, the light of day beckoned, 
But no light of mind replied within the boy's anxious open eyes. In other words, there was a natural uh, phenomenon that we're seeing, but there is no internal open eye to process it and understand. I'm sorry we're starting out so heavy, but this is very important for us to understand. We see natural phenomenon, but there is no capacity in us to see that and appreciate truth because we are spiritually dead and blind without Christ. That is a plight of humanity. Matthew 13, 13 says, Jesus is saying about this generation, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand because our internal faculty of understanding and perceiving is broken. That is what we see in today's text. And we're going to talk about one thing that the world doesn't want you to know. We're going to talk about why all this blindness is here. What is it keeping our eyes from actually perceiving and our ears from actually perceiving? And that is the spiritual warfare we are engaged in right now. The truth will be proclaimed and you will block it out with any mental mechanism possible unless you invite the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and heart. That's why I pray, even in my short prayers, for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and hearts. May you have open eyes and hearts. Amen. Amen. So, verse number 11. Let's jump into the text today. Verse number 11, let's, let's read it on the screen. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, and they told the chief priest all that had taken place. Now, what had just taken place? What has just taken place? It is last week, Easter, the resurrection, the missing body, the earthquake, the angel, the guards who fell in fear, the woman who ran back to the disciples who heard good news. This is called evidence. This is called evidence. How many original eyewitnesses were there to the resurrection? Often we say two, thinking of Mary and Mary. But no, there was two plus additional guards. So four plus because the guards, some of the guard saw this and reported it to the chief priests. It probably wasn't two guards as a paint. This was a national potential scandal. That one who calls himself king above and beyond Caesar, that he can cause a political mess out of all this. And so they probably guarded that with many, many guards. Imagine how many guards went to arrest Jesus. It was a crowd of people. And they will protect this body. There were numerous, numerous eyewitnesses to the original resurrection. The count of the resurrection. Uh, let's go to the next slide, though. Ancient manuscripts, if you look at this, it shows that all the evidence that we have, and it, it outnumbers so many of the other ancient documents that we have in any other historical account, the New Testament is unrivaled in its accuracy and the plethora of documents that we have and the comparisons that you can make, all pointing to the same story with about 99.5% consistency. And the only errors are grammatical that don't change the substance of the evidence. There's too many copies. Like, try getting rid of Harry Potter. You can burn all those in Texas, for example. We'll still have it in other places because there's too many copies. So think about this. The Sanhedrin. 
They had evidence, mounting and mounting corroborated evidence, and the Sanhedrin were legal experts on the law. They did this day and night. They knew what good evidence was and what it wasn't. But the evidence did nothing because the problem wasn't the evidence, it was their mind. There was a blindness to them that didn't let them know how to process what they were seeing. After 10 years of watching debates and engaging in apologetics and studying it, I've reached a conclusion. Evidence is never enough. It's never enough because spiritually blind people don't see. That's the problem. Spiritually blind people don't see. It's like you're waving a flashlight in front of a dead person. Like, how are they going to see that? Our pupils are not going to respond to that because they are spiritually dead. That is our condition before we meet Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, And because today's content is very, I would say, difficult to listen to, I will keep on pointing out verses after verses and not speak out of my human wisdom. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, In their case, the God of this world, whose case? The people who have the evidence but they don't have the faculty to see it. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. It's a spiritual issue. They're dead inside, Right? Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ who is the image of God. A lot of people say, if Jesus is that beautiful, if he's that perfect, if he has really come back from the light for me, show me that and I will believe. The problem is, I can show that to you. It's just that you won't see him as beautiful. And we'll talk about why that is in the next points that are coming up. The problem is not the strength of the evidence comprised of the manuscripts or the social studies or the physics or the uh, archaeology or history. The problem is the blindness of the mind that examines the evidence. The problem is spiritual blindness. May the Lord have mercy upon our blindness. We don't know how deep and dark it goes. So verses 12 to 13, let's look at that. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Let's look at the excuses brought up. Asleep? The guards were asleep? The Romans are very well known for their military for actually inventing a shortened three-hour watch system so that Roman soldiers could rotate, keeping watch in peak conditions after every three hours, especially for political prisoners. They developed the system, right? Falling asleep during watch also in the Roman military is punishable by death. Falling asleep? And they're still alive? They should have been executed. Maybe they were executed. It says they were asleep. How did they know the disciples stole them? How did they know if they were asleep? How did they know what happened if they were asleep? So what we're looking at is contradictory explanations for a purpose. And we need to know what that is. But this is the issue. This is a willful blindness. They know it doesn't make sense. They know it's not going to cover everything up. But it somehow worked. Notice this. They know that the body is not there. 
the Jesus movement and Christianity and all the churches today could be wiped out if the Romans found the body of Jesus and rolled him around, dragged him around on a chariot around Jerusalem four times. No more story to be told. They couldn't do that against 12 fishermen. You can't keep secrets that long. So the body is not there, they know it, but they are willfully blind towards what that means. Even though the Sanhedrin knew the Old Testament prophecies of a resurrecting Messiah, they knew it and they wouldn't see it. That's the problem, right? Number three, they will make self-contradicting excuses so that this fact won't disrupt their lives and they'll even pay a sufficient amount of money to make this happen. Four things that we do every day. Four things that we do every day to keep out the power and the impact and the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on my life. To live the life that I want to live. To not be accountable to the Lord. We'll talk about this more. What is the one thing that the world doesn't want you to see? What does it want to conceal from our eyes and our deadness and blindness? It is not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what that points to. That Jesus is God. He is king over your lives. He deserves your loyalty. There is no subjective morality under him. Living according to his will is the purpose of our lives. And on and on and on and on it goes. That is what we're running from. And so we will pay a lot of money to not live like that. Anything but God's complete rule over my life. Anything but sovereignty. Romans 1, 18-20, let's have it on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, what? Listen, look at this. By their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why are they suppressing it? Not because they're stupid. Not because they don't have evidence. Because of their unrighteousness, they're suppressing it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. All the five classical arguments in apologetics about the existence of God, plus more, brought about by quantum physics, brought about by presuppositionalism, brought about by all the apologetical movements we have today, is no use because the human heart suppresses the truth out of unrighteousness for its invincible, invisible attributes. His eternal power, his divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world that's why we worship the Grand Canyon or the sun whenever we see it, because it is power being displayed of a creator. And yet, what does it say? Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There is no excuse. There's no excuse. Our problem is not lack of evidence for God, but the willful suppression of a heart that hates God because what that means for my life. I can't be in charge anymore. I can't do what I want to do. Which leads to the next point, verse 14. Our blindness is a result of hating God's sovereignty. Why do we hate authority? Because we don't want our worlds to be disrupted. Verse 14. Look at this. And if it comes to the governor's ears, if it comes to the governor's ears, that could be a big problem for a lot of people. 
So we will satisfy the governor and keep you guys out of trouble as if they don't have a stake in this as well, the Sanhedrin. What do they have in stake? There's a lot of things going on here that have a lot of stake, right? I initially thought before this that the sufficient amount of money that they paid must have been tremendous, astronomical. Like, how would you cover up something this obvious and this huge? But come to think of it now, the soldiers probably wanted to cover up this resurrection. The Romans probably wanted to cover this up. The Sanhedrin wanted to cover it up for different reasons. It might have been done for free. No bribe necessary. Because we will satisfy him and keep us out of trouble. Do you get this? Why do we lie? To satisfy our hearts and to keep ourselves out of trouble. The soldiers probably wanted to cover up the resurrection because otherwise they might be executed for sleeping during that time or letting this happen, letting, the, letting the, whatever happened happen, right? Or maybe they were executed, right? Rome probably would have wanted to cover up the resurrection in order to keep the province of Judea in a state of compliance because they, like Jesus was saying that he's a king of the Jews. What about Caesar? So silence him, right? What about the Sanhedrin? They needed to know that they didn't crucify their Messiah. (laughs) Everyone wanted to hush this up. Everyone. This could have been done for free. I would say wasted money because people wanted this. We don't want our worlds to be rocked out of orbit by a sovereign God and what that means for us. It is like this with us today. Many of us say we want to know the truth, but when the truth becomes inconvenient or God's authority becomes something that makes me uncomfortable, we will make up anything to satisfy ourselves and keep ourselves out of trouble. Anything to numb the impact of standing before a sovereign God. When the Holy Spirit is speaking in the sermon to you, a lot of people play the reverse Uno card. And they're like, no, this applies to you. Uh, someone should have heard this sermon. This sermon is totally for that person. Repeat after me. This sermon is still about me. Amen. Thank you. That is countercultural. The world cannot say that. If this is really about you and you're willing to see the inward structure of your heart and your blindness, keep on listening. 2 Timothy 4.3 What is this itch. Like, for the time is coming will people not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate. Think about your podcast. Think about the order that's, that it's in. Who speaks the most in your podcast or your YouTube series? They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. If you look at the consumeristic behavior of megachurches, and I'm deeply afraid because we're also a megachurch and we are fighting to not have the DNA of a megachurch. Amen? We're fighting not to have that DNA. We quickly realize, though, that the majority of the people don't want truth. They want their truth. The majority of the people in a megachurch don't want life. They don't want life. They want a lifestyle. Do you get that? They don't want actual life. They want a lifestyle and their preferences, right? 
preferences outweigh uncomfortable truth every time. And we're a megachurch. I have to ask us a question. Are we safe from this? Are we safe from this? This is one example out of many that applies to multiple departments, but I want to give you an example of what pastors process on a weekly basis, okay? So, last week I received a constructive feedback email, which was from a very mature person, so I trust this email. And what it says is this, that we shouldn't turn off the lights during worship service. And I agreed with that because there is a point in this. A lot of megachurches turn off the lights because of psychological studies to increase light sensitivity and to numb your perception of reality around you to make you a little more dreamy and emotional. Okay, that is a strategy. So I talked to Pastor John and the AV team. Why are we following the culture of megachurches? Like, shouldn't we not be doing this? And their response made me go into an inquiry and a research into the rest of our church this whole week. And I'm accumulating more and more data points right now. What, what, do, they, what do they say? They said, Pastor David, we are criticized every single week. We turned on the light once and we were criticized. We turned it off once and we were criticized. The human ear is comfortable to listening to between 70 and 85 decibels. So when we, close, when we get close to 70, people say it's too, uh, too soft. And when we get close to 80, people say it's too loud. And we hear criticism every single week. And they told me something that, that really hurt me. They said, this is why people leave the AV team the most often. And I had to disagree with them. I was like, actually, no. <laughs> CG leaders are trying to quit right now. Because the soon is not inclusive enough. It's too narrow. It only speaks Korean. It's not bilingual enough. The children aren't the same age. And we have consumerism driving our church. And so the pastor is like, when we initially heard this, like, I was thinking to myself, maybe we should create light zones and dark zones. And maybe we should create... Air- so if you're sitting in the middle here, in the middle here, the speakers will be louder for you. If you sit there, it'll be softer for you. And we wanted to draw out a diagram so that you knew where to sit. And then this was our conclusion. Brothers, we're turning into a megachurch. We're letting opinions and fears and preferences drive us to this point. And so KCPC, uh, this inquiry will continue into every ministry you have, every soon leader that we have, every soon we have. I will do this inquiry until we get a conclusion. But here is my preemptive conclusion right now. Please listen to this. We are not here to entertain you. We are not here to entertain you. We came here to serve a living God. Amen. We came here to listen to his word. We came here to understand what his will for us is for us, right? We came here to understand what his desire for our lives is by communion with him and knowing the Lord more intimately. We will not entertain you to death. But our purpose is to introduce you to God by word and prayer, amen, and to also celebrate what the gospel is by baptism and membership and the sacrament of communion. That's who we are. Please say thank you to the AV team before you leave today. 
There's, two, there's an anonymous couple that's buying food for the fellowship meeting afterwards. Someone complained it was still hot dogs. Please. The world cannot, the church cannot compete with the world in entertainment. That's why after Red Bull ministry in high school, and so kids are used to equating church with pizza and Red Bull, they go to college and say, oh, college frat parties are way more fun. The world is way more fun, so they leave the church because they've been conditioned to think that the church is there to entertain them. No, we are here to introduce you to the living God. That's the only reason we're here. And so do not let us become a megachurch, please. If it's dark, imagine you are in the holy of holies, covered by a tent in intimacy with God. And if it's light, imagine Jesus tearing that curtain apart so that daylight floods the sanctuary and everyone can have access to him. There is different ways to respond to phenomenon in our church, but what's important is you need to be thirsty for Jesus. You need to want the living God and no caricature of him. Like no, no representation of him will satisfy you unless you actually meet the Lord. Don't you desire to meet him today? beyond any obstacles that the church throws at you, beyond any of my faulty you know, language or, or my inability, anything, may you still meet the Lord because he wants to meet you today. John has his own conclusion after seeing the gospel spread through the, word, uh, through the world. Not Pastor John, uh, John the Apostle. In John 3.19, let's look at this. This is the verdict. This is the conclusion. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We block the truth because we hate sovereignty and accountability. We love our darkness, and our main message to God is, leave me alone. I will approach you on my terms when I need you. Leave me alone, which characterizes most of our generation right now. Leave me alone until I need you. The gospel shines light upon the darkness of our hearts and the blindness of our spiritual eyes. It brings deep, not satisfaction and keep you out of trouble, which, what the, which is what the chief priest said. The gospel brings about great dissatisfaction because it shows me who I am. The gospel brings about great trouble to my lifestyle because it makes us confess our inability. The gospel shines light, and that's why it's so difficult. The reason that evidence doesn't persuade non-believers is because of the ramification it has towards my satisfaction and my avoidance of pain. I can't live as if I'm in charge. Now, before I go over to the next point, please do not be hurt if you were involved in what I said. If you said this, uh, I think the person who sent the email, at least it was a straightforward email to me. What's really hard is gossiping that happens. And it creates a narrative before I can even respond to it. And so that person was really noble sending an email directly to me. So if you have things to say, please send it to me directly or the praise team, or the leaders, because we are built to deal with this, okay? Finally, verse 15. 
So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. From this text, two explosive big bangs, spiritual big bangs occur. What happens now? This is huge. This is huge. The two women who saw the resurrection and accepted it by faith according to the evidence, they faith, they had faith, they had pistis, which is a response to the evidence. They had faith and they ran to the disciples. And so now the church is born, formed upon the truth of the resurrection. And now we have the other big bang, the yin to the yang. The, the two plus Roman guards run to the Sanhedrin and the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of the Antichrist is born from lies about the resurrection. Two kingdoms are created in a big bang right now in this text. And this has all the impact upon our narrative and culture right now. And so now we have the history and culture of denying Jesus' divinity. Disciples stole his body. That's what the Jews say. Or in Islam, Jesus or Issa didn't die at all. No one would be forgiven then, right? Or it says, Jesus went through a cycle of reincarnations, the Dalai Lama in 2001. Or another narrative is, and you have to listen to this, Horace Riggs says that Jesus didn't die because, remember the people asked to free Barabbas? Remember that? Barabbas. Uh, Bar in Hebrew is son of like Bar-Yona, Simon Bar-Yona, you are son of Jonah, right? Uh, but Bar-Abbas means son of the father. So they're saying that Jesus was freed on that day and someone else died. That's, that's uh, Horace Riggs. Despite all the evidence. <laughs> Despite all the evidence. Or David Strauss says, the resurrection is a result of mass hallucinations. Mass hallucinations don't work for people who do not want to be involved in it, and it doesn't work for 60 years when they first started writing the Gospels. Dan Brown thinks he's being smart when he wrote the Da Vinci Code. But saying that Jesus was merely human, that's been every cult's, thousands of cults' belief since the birth of the church. There's nothing new in this, but this is the big bang that I'm talking about, where the kingdom of Satan is founded upon, and the kingdom of the Antichrist is founded upon any lie that denies the resurrection. The kingdom of the Antichrist is founded upon any lie to keep me away from the fact that I need a risen Savior, and I will be judged one day by him. Anything that keeps me from that fact falls in line with this narrative. We look at America today, and people are no longer embarrassed about outright blasphemy. You saw the Grammy Awards, right? You saw our notions of sexuality going haywire now. We see lying in the public sphere happening every single day. Like, can we trust any of the words of the politicians? I don't know. Lying is so popular now. The absurdity of our politics today around identity politics, for example, right? Morality has been flipped upside and down and inside out. Like recently, Bud Light, whatever they're doing, right? Many say that because of what is happening, 
America will be judged by God very soon. And I want to tell you, to some extent, they're very wrong. Why? Because God's judgment is already upon our world and America right now. We're already going through the judgment of God. What am I talking about? I'm not talking about fire and brimstone. That is not the case. Our ignorance of God, our rebellion against God, our notions of sexuality, right? Our alienation from his moral design, the cultures and the movements and the ideas that come from the God-shaped hole in society right now, all of that is the punishment that we're going through right now. The natural cause and effect of not having God is what we see today. It's just cause and effect. The sad thing is the spiritual reality of like looking at America or looking at Korea right now, looking at Europe right now, right? Like this is not secret information or a mysterious revelation that you can only receive after 40 days of meditation. That's not the case. It's plainly said in Romans 1, 21 through 25, which continues what we read before. Let's look at it on the screen. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So claiming to be wise, everyone's claiming to be wise right now. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. This is what we're doing right now. For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... What did God do? He gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creation. Hopefully my hand movements are helping you understand this passage a little more, right? That's what's unfolding everywhere right now. God lets you do what you do, and that is terrifying. We cry out against systematic oppression and pain and unfairness and immorality, and everyone has a moral position, although we can't agree upon what objective morality is right now. And we all say that there's unfairness happening, but how many of us recognize this is cause and effect of a godless world? This makes the people of God cry out. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hosea cries out to the Israelites. Ephesians 4, 18 through 19. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, right? In the light of the gospel. From the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them due to their hardness of heart. And finally, Jesus himself responds. This is scary. For judgment I come into this world. For those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That is the judgment that Jesus brings. And now the world is divided into people who see by faith and people who do not see despite the evidence. That is the only divide amongst humanity right now. Is there a position and understanding of the acceptance of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and his divinity? What do we do? Like, I didn't like that I came across this passage to preach upon today. 
because last week we had about 100 maybe new people come to our church and I wanted to bend over backwards to encourage them and strengthen them and tell them about the beauty of Jesus Christ and just, you know, something that fortifies them. But this is the text I got. I am a servant of the word and the word proclaims that we are all blind without Christ. I don't know what to do about that apart from giving you a hope that there is a way out of this darkness. Amen. There's a way out of the darkness. Every part is part of the liturgy. I don't know if you notice this, uh, but after uh, it says that God um, forgives us and he reaches out to us um, despite our shortcomings and our blindness. You hear that, right? There is a way that God is prepared to come out of the darkness and our blindness. What is that? The final verse that we're going to look at today is 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They can't see it. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not of ourselves, but that but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, listen to this, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Not a physical light now, this is a spiritual light, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, where? Displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? This is a long passage, what does this mean though? God gave us physical light at the creation, and he gave us the light of the world in Jesus Christ. He gave an even more radiant light, a more beautiful light, a more pervasive light that heals the mind and restores our eyes so that we can finally see. Wait, when Paul was uh, converted, what does it say? It says, scales fell off of him. Like, like, like his, his sight returned to him as if scales were falling off his eyes. That is the spiritual phenomenon that we are looking for today. That when you see Jesus and the Holy Spirit pronounce imprints in your heart that he is your Savior and that you must repent to receive him, then the lies of the world fall off our eyes. And we can finally see according to the light. We can all finally receive the light and we can live according to that light. Yes, Jesus has overcome my internal darkness. A lot of people celebrate that Jesus will one day overcome bad systems, that he will overturn bad dictatorships, that he will, you know, uh, reflip, you know, our sense of morality. We talk about that day and night. But the greatest thing that God has ever done that is accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ is that I couldn't see before, but now I see. Amen. It stings when the gospel reveals my sin and my ugliness. Yes, it stings. It stings because it reveals that I am not sovereign. But the gospel is the greatest blessing to the world because it reveals not just my lies, but God's truth. And that truth heals and restores and corrects and disciplines his beauty, his perfection, his desire to draw near to you. Like the gospel reveals his will for you. He shows you that he loved you so much, he prepared his son before the foundation of the world. That he loved you when you didn't know yourselves, you didn't know how sinful you were, and yet God still loved you. Yet he sent his son to die for you. 
And when Jesus carried that cross, he let you have that light. He let you enter the kingdom of light and have that light within your hearts through the Holy Spirit. He said the Messiah who would accomplish this. And now what happens in our hearts is a slow churning and a slow melting away of my enmity against God. I now trust, not just love the light, but I trust the light. I, I understand the light. I understand who Jesus is. And that's what we at the leadership pray about every single week. Open the eyes of those who cannot see your beauty. If you love something, you'll talk about it all the time. But I've listened to what you talk to, and it sounds like you don't love Jesus. And so we pray and pray and pray. Let there be more of Jesus in their hearts. Help them open their eyes. Help them see what is truly necessary. Help them have life. May you receive the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then may you fall in love with the God who sent him that you would live according to the truth. Listen to the final words of Jesus. I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness, but he will walk in the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Would you come to him today? Would you receive him? And let the implications work anew. There is a new cause and effect for those who live by the light. This, just there, as there is a system of cause and effect created by not acknowledging Jesus' divinity and resurrection, there is a natural and beautiful cause and effect for those who walk after Jesus. And it says all good, everything works for their good because they follow and trust and love Jesus Christ. That is the blessing that we want to give you this Sunday. Praising, can you come up? And let's respond First by prayer, and second by worship. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, open the eyes of my mind. Whenever you actually open the eyes of people in the Old Testament, they all fell face forward, flat on the ground because they saw angels ascending and descending. They saw you. You're stretching your, your, your robe across the train, uh, across the temple. And they saw how big you were, how, how beautiful you were, how perfect and powerful you were. When they saw you, when they saw your gentle whisper even, they saw it was more powerful than an earthquake or a fire. When people actually saw you, people did what they needed to do in response the church was created because people saw you. The life of sanctification happens because we see you. And proper affections are had because people see you, Father. And so we ask, would you give us the blessing of seeing you once more, Father, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Help us see you today in word and in prayer, Father. Father, we notice that the world is suffering because it does not see you anymore. And we have relativized you into a kaleidoscope of different affections and moralities and standards and tribes. And the cause and effect is tearing us apart. But Father, we ask that as you become the light of the world for us today, that as we re receive you as the living and sovereign God who alone has unique control over my life and who alone receives my allegiance, 
and who alone can explain the truth to me. Father, may your church become salt and light in a world that is dark. May we become the light of the, light of the world. And may that light start by being ignited in us through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this Word today. May the Word bear much fruit as people go back home and apply it to their lives. And may KCPC be a church that guards its candlelight before the world until the day you come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.